Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing entertainment players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. Boom. We're starting the red, lads. And uh, a story that, that started to break overnight, I think we're starting with the women's rugby. And unfortunately for the women's rugby team and the Six Nations campaign, which is now finished... Um, They've appeared quite consistently in the red for us. And uh, the, the breaking news overnight, and it's a story that's been covered in the Irish Independent uh, this morning from Brendan Fanning and Rory O'Connor, is that the Irish women's head coach, Greg McWilliams, is to step down from the job with immediate effect. We understand it's going to happen uh, very soon indeed. Um, so they lost to Scotland, of course, the weekend in their final game. It was the wooden spoon decider, and the wooden spoon it is for Ireland and for Greg McWilliams. Uh, a worst ever concession of points as well in this campaign, a minus 167. It also means Ireland are going to be in Tier 3 of the new International Women's 15 competition, which starts in the autumn. So I think it's fair to say, lads, it's been a fairly hashtag grim campaign. Yeah, first one in spoons since 2004 as well. And in the future, so John McKee, Neve Briggs and Dennis Fogarty are still all for grabs too, um, McWilliams' coaching staff. But that's been an unmitigated disaster, really, from start to finish. Like there wasn't high hopes going into this tournament. We previewed it. We weren't feeling too confident. Uh, but you know, like to be nilled by England. I know England are a fantastic side, way way ahead. But it was just so demoralising, and then to be unchanged against Scotland and actually doing well against them. Like we were three 0 up. It was the first time we had the only time we had led all tournament long. We looks like we were going into the break three 0 ahead, like into the red in the first half injury time. Scotland go over mm. uh, and then Nicola Friday scores a well worth trying the second half we're level at 10 all after 55 minutes this is very promising 25 minutes ago we could actually win this but then Scotland just accelerated beyond us very very quickly retook the lead and um, you know like there was kind of individual brilliance too at stages by Scotland which we just don't have like and you, you look it's, it's very clearly unfair and unrealistic to compare the men's and women's game in the moment in the country but we are literally on the complete opposite end of the scale and like it was 2013 you won the Grand Slam how can we get back there maybe this is the first step to it with the news that's breaking this morning so when you say expectations weren't that high I remember we previewed the Women's Six Nations the day or two before it began and the expectation from Greg McWilliams and the coaching team was high they were Actually, like yeah. we want to finish third in fact we feel like we can definitely finish third behind Scott, um, England and France of course who are on another level uh, not least with funding but um, that, like, so clearly they felt even before the tournament started that they were further along on the road than, than they were now we, we know that a lot of the players from the sevens weren't there and there was a lot of inexperience relative inexperience and lack of caps in that Irish squad compared to some of the other teams but still the coaching team and the team itself felt like third was realistic but clearly when you look at the games that they've played over the last number of weeks third was a pipe dream I understand why the coaching staff would and the players would of course like you're going to expect the best from yourself and you want to overachieve if anything but like we weren't too excited about it going into it ourselves, like looking ahead from the outside. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you. But I didn't expect it to be this bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's an indictment of the IRFU. We've made this point from the very start, and uh, there's always a backlash in the comments from people like, "Oh, you've got to blame the players for this," but actually, you don't. Uh, at this point, this rests squarely at the door of the chief executive of the IRFU. 
Kevin Potts, who's been with the RFU for a long period of time, and so you know uh, has has responsibility for this. So too does David Nusafora, who's in charge of rugby. And the fact that they they're pointing to new appointments over the last twelve months to try and rectify this, like they've both been in situ for a long period of time in in the IRFU, and except that Kevin Potts is newly appointed to the chief executive role, but he has been within the organisation for a long time. So. You know, where's their track record that shows us that they're actually going to be able to fix this? Where's the evidence that their concerns about the women's game are showing results? Um, so, uh, you know, you, you'll, they'll have to come out and speak publicly mm. and show leadership on this. Because it, you take this with the, with the letter that was published. You take this with uh, all of the stuff over the last couple of years. And it's been clear that there have been warnings from within and without the women's game that all was not well and what happens is that you end up with these results like they put all their eggs in the basket of qualifying for the Olympics for the sevens team and they're still not qualified you know if they were already qualified maybe the sevens players would have played for the 15s and the team would have been much better and we could have had a a better result but uh, that hasn't happened and so there's a possibility we don't end up with the Olympics and we don't end up with the 15s team and you've tried to serve all the masters and ended up falling in the middle of it and going oh my god what what is this ruin that we have at the moment like if you're a young talented athlete and you're looking at the various sports that you can play why would you pick rugby at the moment totally Mm. and also like we've had five games showcased in national stage on TV you can watch these easily and if that's the only promotion you're getting like and like the support has been phenomenal and you can hear it in each match can even hear it um, over the weekend in Ireland scored their try like there is support at these games like and there's so much goodwill towards them but like the players don't want to hear that like you know they want to go way beyond it and if you're very much a casual observer and you're on the fence about whether you want to play rugby as a girl watching that like you're just watching defeat after defeat and you know great work ethic and endeavour to improve but like that's the showcase event five games no wins all losses when are we going to see them next? You know, it's very tough. Like every time we uh, uh, fair play to Greg McWilliams if he's stepping down today, because yeah. uh, that will remove one of the fig leaves that they had. It was like, oh, here's somebody that we've you know we've uh, highly rated and we've put him in charge, and he's going to come out week on week and tell us, you know, actually things are changing. That'll stop now, and they're going to have to find somebody else to do that job. So, what else is in the rights for us this morning? Yeah, we'll move on to uh, Nottingham Forest and Leeds. I know there are plenty of fans in Ireland of both of those uh, clubs steeped in history, but. Uh, is there a time in the Premier League history because both of them had very poor weekends and deservedly I think in the red uh, will they be in the red at the start at the end of the season we'll, we'll find it over the next few weeks but uh, Forrest started with uh, a 2 undefeated Brentford that's cruel Saturday. cruel it, it's very cruel for Forrest but you look at the Southampton game they have at home next and you're like three points maybe Chelsea after that as well three points <laughs> <laughs> no offence to Chelsea um, late winner as well uh, in that game for uh, for Brentford from Josh De Silva um, Steve Cooper had his had his qualms and concerns and issues in terms of VER for that goal. And uh, was there a player offside who was in, in the goalkeeper's eye line? Um, he wasn't complaining too too badly about it. But uh, they had four points from their previous two games, uh, and that would have been acceptable for Forrest given how, how badly they've been doing. Um, so if you look if you look at them, they're in the relegation zone. They're on thirty points. So that then we're basically saying are gone. Mm-hmm. So 24 points on the bottom. Everton on 29 points. That's after their two-all draw with Leicester last night. Yeah. Uh, and Forrest on goal difference. Um, just in the relegation spots ahead of Leeds and Leicester. It's eaten up. You look at Forrest, like uh, Shane, 81 minutes on the clock there on Saturday 
away to Brentford 1-0 up having just beaten Brighton midweek great that's, that's great, great result everything's flying everything's coming up Millhouse for Forrest they would have been safe Ivan Tony's equaliser and the, the Josh De Silva goal in the 94th minute saying like it squeezes underneath Kater Navis we actually have an image of that as well of Navis like he's just so forlorn and devastated there he is for people who can't see he's just watching the ball in the net mm. and that could be the everlasting image of this season for Nottingham Forest that they could go down I personally would love to see Forest stay up I think they're good crack I like their crest I like their jersey <laughs> good enough I like reason, their ground yeah. I, like, I like a lot of their players and I think Steve Cooper's a great manager at that level so I hope they do stay up but that was heartbreaking and as soon as that result went in Shane I was thinking they got to be in the red for the performance rankings just because it's been a disaster in the sense that two days later no matter what happened last night between Leicester and Everton they were going to wake up Tuesday morning in the relegation zone and here they are but like we've said it several times now the last few days this is an ever so exciting relegation battle isn't it? Without Southampton, but all the way up to probably 15th West Ham. Very, very engaging. Potentially. It, it, like it, it's going to go down to the last game of the season regardless, you'd imagine, with four games left now for all of them. Um, and the points the way they are, and the score difference, the, score difference the, way, it, the way it is. Uh, Steve Cooper was making the point, this is what's, what's crucial here. A goal or a decision is going to hinge yeah. and decide who, who, who goes up and down. He says after the match about that, that winning goal for Brentford, we really need to know how they've made the call and the image they've made it from. I hope at this stage of the game and the season that they did make a call based on an assumption. But the guys are fuming over it, the guys being the players. The subs and the staff could see it fairly live and we thought it was going to be the opposite decision. Um, so little moments like that, you don't, you don't want... Officials' decisions and VAR calls and images that they use to decide who goes. Well, they obviously will. (laughs) That's the lesson of the season that they obviously will end up costing somebody a place in the Premier League. Forest play Southampton next. Mm -hmm. If that were to win that Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. suddenly, then it would still all be to play for the last day of the season. Southampton's fixtures aren't a complete disaster if they were to suddenly find a run from somewhere. It's Forest, Fulham, Brighton, and then on the last day of the season, Liverpool, who may or may not have something to play for. Leeds United, meanwhile. I mean, they're screwed. Happy, grazie. They're all happy. They're get, screwed. Four and sacked in the morning, it, it feels like. <laughs> Two and but, a half months in. So looking for a third manager of the season. They've lost four of their last five games. A 4-1 defeat at Bournemouth followed that reasonable draw against Leicester that I know Leeds were disappointed with. But um, the talk is, um, Michael Skubala as interim head coach, yeah. the guy that we, we've seen before already this season. There's talk of Lee Bowyer, Alan Pardew. Oof. Big Sam, of course, has been mentioned, as as has been mentioned with every single um, managerial exodus that there has been. Jefferson Lerma scored a couple of great goals for Bournemouth in that oh, match lovely as, well, as well. Both lovely the first Two lovely finishes, oh. yeah. Um, how, many, how many matches did Skubala manage? Because this would be their fourth manager then. If he did one, what, did he do two games? He did Old Trafford, for sure. He did. Did he one or as well? Maybe one or two or three. Uh, Cameron Hill, I'm sure, a resident of United supporter would tell us here. Yeah, it was after Marsh left and Gracia came in. Um, I don't know how many matches exactly it was. But, I mean... Patrick Bamford pulls a goal back for Leeds with a header. Lovely cross and, as well. And, and Nanto had a chance afterwards. They could have, really could have got something from this game, as bizarre as that sounds, in 4-1. Yeah. So look look at Leeds' fixtures. Mm-hmm. Trip to Manchester City. Then they welcome Newcastle to Ellen Road. Then they have West Ham away and a home game with Spurs on the final day. Leeds are screwed, lads. Well, they could get six points from that. Spurs and... Uh, they're not going to get anything from Newcastle. They're not going to get anything from City. The, Spurs and who was the last one? Uh, West Ham away and Tottenham on the final day. Not, not stranger things have happened. Maybe, but then those next six points be enough. I mean, probably no. Thirty-six points might not be enough. No, oh. it probably will actually, because everybody's losing games. Mm-hmm. Somebody from the Athletic had a stat about uh, four of the teams. Their last eight games, the only win was one match against each other. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, class. Love that. Speaking of stats, the 23 goals that Leeds conceded throughout April was the most ever in one month for a Premier League team. Right. Yeah, that'll be the Grazia legacy, unfortunately. I like Grazia. Likeable figure. Wanted it, to, wanted it to go well for him. Bad manager, though. I don't know. Got Watford to an FA Cup final. Not sure. Well, they lost, what, 6 0? Yeah, well, <laughs> just got to the final. Yeah. Um, also, just word Ivan Tony, 20 Premier League goals this season. Only Harry Kane and Erling Haaland have scored more. I know he's a bit of a, you know, he's a, a penalty whiz, but like Andy Johnson was in the noughties. But I think he's far more than that. Like, got a great, got a, sorry, a good free kick at the weekend. It should have been saved by Navis. But it was, it was uh, a free from a good bit of distance anyway. Some other football we need to talk about. Um, James Coleman, a horrific injury. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Another, it, it's a knee injury. Um, we haven't had a confirmation, no. but afterwards, Sean Dice said it did look serious. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, he's been uh, geeing up the crowd from the stretcher. Isn't the most James Coleman thing ever. Oh, it's incredible, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's a squeamish look at injury like that. Like, could be the second major horrific injury of his career, you know. Um, you just feel so sorry for him, and actually, from the Irish perspective, if you're thinking of next month's match against uh, Greece, and on that too, Chiodolze Obene went off injured with a hamstring injury against Rotherham, as they stayed up in the Championship. Uh, his contract is up in the summer as well, so that could be his last game for the club. Be interested to see where he ends up, but I don't like the Coleman injury. It's a, such a setback, and also, also for Everton as well. Like, and geez, they were fortunate enough; they should have gone three-one down in this game. James Madison had a penalty to put Leicester three-one ahead, and I don't know if you saw the picture, the close-up battle of Jordan Pickford's yeah. uh, close-up picture of Jordan Pickford's uh, water bottle. There was a clear stat: sixty percent of Madison's penalties went down the middle, and Pickford stays still. There's nothing that looks worse uh, from the the mister's perspective when the keeper doesn't move and it goes right down the middle, and he just palms it away. It's a terrible penalty. Yeah, it was awful. I thought I really thought Vardy was going to take it because um, that's two goals in two games for Vardy after going nineteen without. Hundred percent of Tielemans go uh, one way. Can't tell if it's right or left. From and Tielemans picked up the ball initially. Looked like he was going to take it, and Madison took it off him. But if, sorry, if you're if you're a strike, so if you're a penalty taker, why not do research like the keeper does the research? Research yourself and go. What would what? Where would I go if I was the keeper? And then just go the other way, or or like change it up in a regular pattern. You're like, you're like one of the early MMA fans. Like, oh, educate yourself. Well, <laughs> Casper Schmeichel was on TV last night after the match, and he was he was been asked about his process, and he said, "I'm not going to tell you until I retire, but I have a very different process." So it left us all wanting to know more. Um, but every goalkeeper researches differently for these penalties. But yeah, if you have a player like Madison who just puts it down the, the middle of 60% of the time, I yeah. mean... Well, you know, that's only two-thirds of the time. One-third of the time he does other stuff. And, uh, it's all stats, isn't it? You've got to stand still then if it's 60% well, as a keeper. The thing is, um, Pickford does go right and then come back almost fainting them out, you know? Mm. There was an amazing moment in this game last night where... Dominic Calvert-Lewin had a tap-in for his second of the oh. game and I think it hit his heel or he didn't get or he just timed his momentum wrong yeah, and got the weak side of his foot and then up the other end Jamie Vardy hits the bar <laughs> look by, by the order of chances and the penalty Leicester probably should have won this game so Everton can consider themselves fortunate to get something from it and at the same time they wake up this morning in 19th place after 34 games hard to imagine All right. so we're still in the red do you want to do very quick mention I don't know I was just a clap thing I mean I thought you know Spurs were a contender obviously for Amber but like the sprinting up to the fourth official uh, after Liverpool's goal and then the hamstring injury and I knew watching it I knew that they were going to be like oh it's hilarious what a character he, uh, he pulled his hamstring that's brilliant and I knew that was going to be the question to him as well afterwards and fairness Patrick Davis and this guy he was he, he probed them a little bit about what was said there what was said uh, between you and the ref and of course he had a go at Paul Tierney too which is unfair but the thing with Klopp like, like 
He's a bit of a clown, like. He's a dose. That's the word. He's a clown, like, you know, I thought, you know, like this incredibly charismatic guy, brilliant manager. I enjoyed him a lot initially, but this sprinting up to the fourth official, like, he's a bully. He's a bully. Yeah, like, what was he trying to, what was he trying to get out of that? Was he just, like... Well, and then also said he, afterwards, well, I didn't actually say anything to him, so I think that's fine. And I sprinted up to him, and he's like, look, it's not cool that I did that, but I didn't say anything, and... And then I got the hamstring injury. I think he was talk, basically describing karma without saying it. So he has some level of self-awareness, which actually probably makes it worse because he's going to do this again. And he just picks on people of a lesser standing, which is the definition of bullying. Yeah. I wonder, are Liverpool fans as sick of those antics as, say, United fans? I don't think so, I, I, I mean, you probably get the odd Liverpool fan who, who doesn't like seeing it. But like, what really annoyed me was like I was reading the comments online it was like oh what a legend what a character because of the hamstring injury and he limps away from it you know and he does the chest pump with all his players and he has this like toxic side to him but Ireland just the sprinting up to the fourth official like why does the fourth official get it so much in the year like what can they do? Do you know people pick their like uh, three sports people or five sports people that are alive they'd love to have dinner with? He makes my list of people I'd absolutely not want to have dinner with. Uh, I, I, he's, I'd say he's brilliant. I'd say you get loads of insight from him. Oh, I'd, say in a relaxed, I'd say in a relaxed environment, he's brilliant company. Like, there's so much to him. He, he's an amazing manager. Like, the way he can consistently, year after year, motivate the same set of players or a new set of players. He's won everything you can at Liverpool. He's been an absolute legend at the club. But I hate this side of him. Yeah. I hate it. Like, well, and he'll do he, it again. Was he potentially taking away some of the... Had negativity from the team because they won the game four three, having been three 0 up against the flakiest Spurs side in the history of flaky Spurs sides. <laughs> Did it like was there analysis done? I didn't see the aftermath of the game. Yeah. Was there analysis done of their own collapse? Another collapse from Liverpool in a game? I think was Spurs are so bad that the focus was entirely shifted to them. Yeah, I think so. I think that. I think if you're asking what the analysis was like, then I think they it came was back. that. Yeah, then they came back. Was. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. and now suddenly it peps. It's a peps. It's Klopp's hamstring as opposed to what yeah. happened to your team at 3-0 that well, they couldn't the, control the game? That's really annoying thing about modern football too. We're all guilty of it is like incidents are analysed more than the football itself. So skips, the Skip and Jota incident was probably the most talked about after Klopp went over to the fourth official. So then third or fourth in the running order is Liverpool throwing away a 3-0 lead. And they had never done that in Anfield before where they went 3-0 up and drew a game so Jata of course changed that at the end so it was all about the mistakes and Lucas Moura's mistake at the end and then Ryan Mason afterwards saying oh, we were by far the better team and then yeah. Klopp saying well like if Spurs don't just counter all the time and concentrate on actually proactively creating chances they'd be a bit better Alright C- can we just so. mention before we move on as well a statement that came in from the Leeds players I don't know if you saw this last night lads the statement um, yeah. about the, the subsequent post on social media the walking past the young kid um, in his Leeds jersey looking for autographs in the hotel there seems to be a trend that's cropping up quite significantly and quite uh, a lot recently uh, probably because Leeds lost as well um, in the fashion in which they did that this uh, has made a, made a story but the whole apology thing in, in football is, is really reaching uh, other levels but I mean it's not hard to stop for a few, for a few kids and sign a few autographs is it? No Be human um, the NBA playoffs are on at the moment and it's going to be LeBron versus Steph it's a seven game series after Steph went off for 50 points against Sacramento uh, on the road um, and we'll keep an eye on that and we'll start talking about it over the next week or two but if you're only vaguely interested in the NBA the time to tune in is now and LeBron versus Steph might not happen again I assume LeBron is not injured I don't think he is so um, anyway that's it We'll move on to Amber and I think we're going to Arsenal. Um, The Arsenal women's team had a Champions League semi-final last night and a second leg against Wolfsburg, an opportunity to to reach a European decider and, Jesus, they were oh so close. Extra time it went to, uh, two all after normal time. 
Jonas Seidewald speaking after the game about the immense pride because uh, it was a very, very late winner for Wolfsburg. You're thinking this is this is heading to penalties, um, but a, a very late winner um, for Paulina Bremer to crush Arsenal five four in aggregate, crush them as in their hearts and their resolve and their uh, ambitions of winning in Europe this year because they were so so close, um, and they showed some serious bottle to to come back from two 0 down in the uh, the away leg last week to get back to 2-2 and bring something back to London a, a record crowd for a domestic women's game um, in England as well over 60,000 worth the Emirates sold out for that match last night as well uh, Katie McCabe hits the crossbar yeah, very very late on and you're thinking this is this is the moment but if you look at the the, the injury list C- uh, Captain Kim Little you have Leah Williamson and Caitlin Ford in recent weeks and then of course the long term ACLs uh, Beth Mead and, and Vivian Miedema so I think that's what Jonas Eideval was getting at when he spoke about the immense pride because the, the, the bench is thin. The strength and depth is very, very thin with all these injuries that have, that have struck Arsenal. So um, I guess they had it all to do last night for that second leg, but unfortunately they just couldn't get the job done. Yeah, they lie in fourth place as well in WSL, but uh, I would have been brilliant to start with Katie McCabe's winner, wouldn't it, today? Ah. I was so close, captain, and smashes the woodwork, but like very unfortunate and... Um, Wolfsburg have been getting the better of them in the Champions League too like you're looking at like what's this it was back in 2007 I think wasn't it Arsenal's last triumph there so they've gone a long time without and uh, so close so far that's why they're in the amber but the problem is now they, they have a little bit of a battle in the WSL to actually qualify for Europe for next season so they, they're sitting in fourth at the moment as I look at it two points behind Chelsea and they've played one game more uh, and it's only of course that as I say the top three that compete in Europe so I mean Arsenal have a job especially with those injuries to actually even qualify for Europe next year so the last number of games in the season. You mentioned the full house, obviously. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Yeah, of course. That's why it's why it's an amber because I mean there, there are positives to take from this. It's it really, really good to see um, fervent atmosphere. It appeared, and of course, majority Arsenal fans in the, in the Emirates last night, um, and, and for a really unbelievable European game under the lights as well. That's just what you want to see. So, yeah, probably amber because considering the injuries, not the worst performance or result in the world. But but yeah, they'll be they'll be absolutely gutted, and Katie McCabe was clearly gutted afterwards. All right, in the green. Yeah, move on to the green and uh, Claire and Louth, I think deservedly both uh, for their GA exploits in the respective codes over the weekend. Claire themselves, I, I see, I've seen the, the narrative passed across the weekend lads that Claire have saved the hurling summer. With this result, possibly I'm not going to go that far this morning, but Claire one goal and 24 points, Limerick 220. Um, we were kind of trying to decipher if these stats before us were, were correct before the show, but first time Claire have beaten Limerick in a championship game in a Limerick City venue since 1901 there was incredulity in the studio I, yeah. don't I still don't believe it I know it, it sounds a bit wrong doesn't it our sources are correct Shane though yeah they, they appear to be correct um, and look 30,500 people at that match in, in Limerick kiss of life to the summer I think Maliki, Maliki Clerken uh, described it as uh, and then you see the injuries to Sean Finn and Keane Lynch for Limerick as well which might be a slight concern for, for John Kiley no doubt why wasn't it on TV Ah, that's sure. Well, it was on TV. It was on Diego. Yeah, it wasn't on national TV for the most people to see it. Like, oh my God. And I was listening to it on the radio and there was problems there as well. It was just so frustrating. And I know, look, I know what I can't please everyone. I totally get that. And you're sharing a lot of stuff from one channel or two channels. But like, there's another channel they could put it on too. And like, the double header was great on Sunday, but that game, like, you could have anticipated that was going to be a cracker because it was so close last year as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the eyes were this weekend and it didn't. Uh, like it, it, it didn't fail to deliver. Like it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And like Limerick could have gone ahead. Flanagan, I think, could have scored a goal after about fifteen seconds. Yeah. Like it had everything from start to finish, and only a point in it at the end. And Flanagan's goal could have been a, a square ball, but then again, you look at it in slow motion, and you still can't decipher whether or not it's a square ball. So 
maybe leave the umpires off on that one. I don't know. It felt it felt like a square ball at the time, and um, anyway, I understand why it wasn't or wasn't given. But we'll talk more about this a little bit later on. Um, if you just listen to this section, go and uh, search for Sarah Donovan in our podcast feed and we'll go get into this in more details. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loud, obviously, we could have done plenty more on them as well. We will do more. I, I suspect they're surging up the power rankings. They were pretty lucky. They were obviously dominant, but also lucky in that kind of weird way that only happens when you can see goals. Um, and They led by four with 62 minutes gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, they could have thrown it away. Um, and Sam Roy came to life in... in yeah. um, Injury and extra time. Extra time, yeah. 20 minutes, first 20 minutes, yeah. yeah. Sensational from him. And, you know, they'll feel pretty good about life against the Dubs in the final. Got to move on. Leinster and Raj. We're going to talk Leinster in just a moment. Raj in the green. Uh, 100%. I'm getting a lot of hate, by the way, in the comments. Shane Bish should be ashamed he didn't force Luca Brussel into the green slot. Um, I'm surprised given how much Shane has been plugging the snooker of late. Luca Brussel isn't in the performance rankings. Fergal O'Brien is coming in the studio. So I've, I've, I've managed to squeeze that one. Uh, Michael says Shane is definitely on my list of not to have dinner with. Bad enough listening to him at breakfast. Uh, Michael, I wouldn't have breakfast with you either, but Thanks for that this morning. You do every morning though, Shane. Yeah, Tough of course. Yeah, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks, Michael, for that comment. Uh, yeah, Leinster and Raj. I mean, we've got the the, the fairy tale uh, final that we wanted. I don't know. I would have been much no? happier if uh, we weren't facing Raj again. To be honest, as a Leinster fan, it would have much easier. <laughs> but uh, I suppose. But, but I mean, from a, from an excitement and a narrative point yes, of view. Yeah, I mean, we want, we want Raj. Yes, yes, and obviously, I mean, you know, Raj, we love you now. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, Leinster were dominant, uh, very impressive, similarly to, to La Rochelle. But uh, forty-one points to twenty-two, and it, it was uh, it was comfortable. Um, it wasn't comfortable. I, I, my whoop measures my stress. <laughs> and it was like seventy-two minutes of stress. Eventually, in the second half, like okay, I can finally. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, we we're about to talk about this in much more detail. So, uh, James Tracy's outside. We're going to get into him. That is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. Up next, Keith Tracy on Liverpool Spurs, and then James Tracy in the studio. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. 